This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode four. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. This is a show about the state of the great American experiment. George Washington once called our country that. He called it the great American experiment. Our founding father, the warrior scholar, the general who became president, the guy who refused to be king. He once famously said, quote, the establishment of our new government seemed to be the last great experiment for promoting human happiness. That's what he said. Our country is the great American experiment. In every episode, we're going to take its temperature. We're going to see how it's doing. Because make no mistake, it's sick right now. It's still wonderful, and it can likely recover over time, but it'll require some care and some medication, and likely some pretty intense surgery. Each week on this show, I'll share my updated diagnosis and offer some prescriptions to help us get our beloved patient back on track. We're going to have some setbacks, and it'll be a hard road to recovery. But if we rally the family and the community and the experts and the best technology and science... All around our patient, our dear patient, that patient can survive. And that patient can thrive. And it can go on to live an amazing, happy, long, fulfilled life. One full of joy and happiness. But make no mistake, our patient is in distress. That's why I chose the upside-down American flag on the cover for this podcast. Mark Twain once said that patriotism is supporting your country all the time and your government when it deserves it. Well, my government definitely doesn't deserve it, especially right now. But America's bigger than our government and definitely bigger than our president. America's bigger than our politics, bigger than our nasty, divisive, nasty, 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 failing politics. And America's definitely bigger than our political parties. It's bigger than the coasts. It's bigger than Wall Street. It's bigger than Hollywood. America's bigger than all of that. But America's you. America is our music. It's our sports. It's our values. It's our sense of community. It's our shared dreams for our kids. It's our unity in the face of our common enemies. And at times, it's our shared outrage on the issues that deserve it. From the shitty response to Puerto Rico to the crumbling roads and bridges all across our country, to the suicide rate, to the damn annoying robocalls from telemarketers. America is a sense of unity in the face of a common enemy. That includes the robocallers. Now, whether the enemy is Russia trying to disrupt our elections or hate within our borders, 
America is about being together, no matter what comes at us. And most of all, America is about our people, our amazing, diverse, dynamic people. That means you. So each week, I'll also interview a guest, a guest that's an iconic, important, or inspiring part of America. Someone who helps define who we are as a country and somebody who can help influence what we'll be. Now, I've told you before, but every show I want to bring you four things, my four eyes: Integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. That's the show. That's the idea. So let's get into it. Our last three episodes have been fun, but the show is a work in progress, and we're trying to get better every single week, so thank you to all of you who've tuned in. And today, we got a killer episode. The world is on fire, that's for damn sure, and I'm going to break it down for you. We're going to dig into a quick recap of the most important things happening in America. I got another rant for you, and an angry action to turn that anger into positive outcome. And we've got another awesome guest this week. Episode three with Ron Perlman was bonkers. The man was on fire. The star of Sons of Anarchy, Hellboy, Hand of God. If you listen, he took us on a wild ride with him in his car through the hills of Hollywood. It was cool. And a lot of folks really, really enjoyed it. If you haven't heard it, go back and check it out. In episode one, we had nice guy Willie Geist talking about Puerto Rico and LL Cool J and much more. Go back and check that out if you haven't heard it. Episode two was powerful. We had 9-11 first responder Rob Sarah. He was a firefighter, somebody who has every right to be angry, and that fight continues. Thank you to all of you who've stepped up. Use the hashtag AngryAmerican to support our first responders. That fight goes on. It's going to be a part of the show until it's done. But this week, we got a fascinating Angry American, Peter Berg. Now, Peter Berg is a director and an actor. He's a friend of mine who I've known for a while now, and he's influenced and defined modern American culture as much, if not more, than anybody. He's a media and cultural visionary. He's a storyteller. And he's created projects that have really spanned industries, spanned cultures, and defined some of the most significant events in our collective modern history. And part of why I want to talk to him, he shaped global popular understanding of life in America. Now, if you're unfamiliar with his work, I'm going to paint the picture. Sports, music, Military and first responders. These are three kind of through lines in everything that, that Pete does. And sports, he's the guy behind Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights, the amazing Friday Night Lights. Ballers on HBO, State of Play. QB1, a series about high school quarterbacks. And most recently, one of the best Super Bowl commercials ever. The 100-year game that paid homage to some of the past and present players. You may have remembered it. It happened right after halftime in the Super Bowl. It had Tom Brady, Jim Brown, Joe Montana, Dick Butkus, Deion Sanders, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it was, it was killer. And it aired during the Super Bowl. He's going to talk to us about how it all came together. He's also a huge Giants fan. On the music side, you may not know this, Peter Berg has produced five music videos. And right now, he's working on a documentary about Chris Cornell uh, from Soundgarden with Brad Pitt. And he's doing a doc about Rihanna, with Rihanna. So music, again, Peter Berg is focused on this, which is a part of our culture. And then lastly, and maybe most importantly, he focuses on working people, military, 
cops, the people who are on the front lines. He did Lone Survivor. He did War Fighters and Live to Tell on History Channel, both about the military. He did The Kingdom in, in Saudi Arabia, loosely based on the 96 bombing of the Kobar Towers uh, and, and four compounds in Riyadh in 2003. He did Patriot's Day about the Boston Marathon bombing that really traces that, that whole episode from a few different vantage points to include from the cops. And then he did Deepwater Horizon about the oil rig workers. So really getting into what it means to be the people on the front lines of some of these really important times in American history. And Peter Berg's done a lot of other cool, impactful content. He did Hancock. He did Battleship. He did The Leftovers. A lot of huge fans around Leftovers. And he did Entourage. Entourage, man. I mean, this is the guy behind Entourage, and we're going to talk to him. He's also the son of a Marine. He's a huge supporter of troops and vets. I know him because he was also on the board at IAVA, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans America, the organization that I founded. He's close buddies with Marcus Luttrell, the guy behind Lone Survivor and, and a true American hero. He was the roommate uh, of, of a guy that's a real powerhouse in Hollywood. This is kind of interesting. At McAllister College, his roommate was Ari Emanuel, the legendary head of WME and the brother of Rahm Emanuel former chief of staff to President Obama and the mayor of Chicago. Peter is the head of four companies, and he never sleeps. I mean, he's really unpacked the intersection of sports, war, music, and, and maybe most of all, working people who are on the dangerous front lines of America's existence. People like Navy SEALs and oil rig workers, cops, high school football coaches, the people that define, in many ways, for better or worse, who we are and the people who really experience America as it is. These are the, the men and women who are kind of downstream from the political and policy decisions of others. Berg's a guy who gets to the, the ground truth of stories. He's also one of the most interesting dudes I've ever met. He's got a wild life. Uh, he's kind of got a Forrest Gump life where you never know where he might pop up, um, but he's a really good human being. And he's coming up in this episode. He's an iconic, important, angry American. He's shaped our country, and he's shaping its future. You don't want to miss what he's angry about. You don't want to miss his first car. You don't want to miss that interview and, and the rest of this show. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode four. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And here's what I'm angry about right now. Telemarketers. Telemarketers. Like when I say it, your blood pressure probably begins to rise immediately. So check this out. In the last couple of months, somehow, I ended up on some list. I don't know if it's because I registered the website for this show, angryamericans.us, or someone hates me and put me on a call list or maybe my mother signed up for some shit. I don't know what it is, but at some point in the last couple of weeks, I got added to like the list of death for telemarketers. Maybe this has happened to you. If it hasn't happened to you, it may happen to you. I hope it doesn't happen to you, but just to give you a sense, okay, in the last four days, these are the places I've gotten phone calls from just in the last four days. 
I don't know people in these places. Smithfield, Virginia. And they call, here's what they do. They call, and if you pick up, then your your number goes into some other registry, and then they just call you some more. So you see the number, you don't recognize it. If you're smart, you don't pick it up. If you're not, or you're careless, or you're drunk, you pick it up. And the next thing you know, who knows what the hell happens. But Smithfield, Virginia, called me on Monday, followed by Montenegro. I don't know anybody from Montenegro. 011 is how the number starts. I'm not picking that up. Then Smithfield, Virginia. Cypress, California. Again, Smithfield, Virginia. Uh, Serbia called me. I don't know anybody in Serbia. Not that I know of. Maybe there's some angry Americans in Serbia. If there are, what's up? Thank you for tuning in. But a 38162 and then a whole bunch of other numbers called me on Saturday from Serbia. Then Slovenia called. Slovenia called again in the same day. Binghamton, New York, also a number I don't recognize. And then Friday was fun. Slovenia called me, I think, seven times just on Friday. Again, Thursday, Slovenia, uh... Uh, Estonia has called me. Lithuania has called me. I've been to Lithuania, but I don't think anybody's calling me back. This happens all the time. This is an, an aggressive assault on our independence as Americans. I didn't sign up for this shit. I didn't ask for these people to call me. I think this is a legitimate reason to be angry. I know there are calling places where you can register your number. I've done that. These people continue to call me. I think this happens to people all over the country. It probably makes you angry too. If it doesn't make you angry, then God bless you. You're probably lucky you haven't ended up on one of these call lists, but you might sometime soon. If you have a hard line, I don't even have a hard line anymore, but if you do, you're probably, your your ears are bleeding from the number of these people in places that call you on a regular basis. But here's my message. Republicans, Democrats, you want to fix something that's pissing us off, Fix these damn telemarketers, like for real. Shut them down. Don't let them call us. Don't let me. Let them harass us when we're watching Game of Thrones or have nine calls come in on a Friday from Slovenia. This is an issue that's got me angry. Yes, this has got me ticked off, and I think it's probably an issue that's got you ticked off too. It may, it may not. But either way, let me know what's got you angry. Sound off. Use the hashtag Angry Americans. Let us know what's got you cranked up, and stay tuned for more. It's a very wild time in America. Very wild. And I'm going to rip through some stories that should make you angry. And have you engaged. This is Rykoff's Rapid Recap. These are the stories and issues that I think are critical to analyzing the health of our great American experiment. The, The stories that you may have tracked on, maybe you haven't tracked on, but I think are important or are interesting and are shaping all that is America right now. And what a time it is. Let's start with the Mueller report. All right. It's out. Last week, it finally dropped over 400 pages. And you've seen a million different analysis of this probably already. But in my view, here's what it is. It's the unofficial beginning of the end of Trumpism in America. It's not the nail in the coffin, but it's a tipping point. There's a confluence of events that have hit here. And the election coming up in 2020, the Mueller report itself, 
Trump's, you know, daily undisciplined behavior, everybody's kind of reaching a breaking point with Trump, I think. And the Mueller report can be a tipping point. But there's an underreported part of this that, that I want to focus in on. As a guy who served in the military, who's been an activist, I want this show to focus on national security issues and defense. There should be no doubt now that Russia is our enemy. That's a huge takeaway here. They're attacking our elections. The Russians are attacking our democracy. And the president and most of Congress is doing pretty much nothing about it. That should be an important takeaway that we can all unite on. That should have everyone angry. A takeaway that the president seemed to deny for a long period of time, but now it's in black and white. Maybe he can openly recognize it. The Russians are working daily to disrupt and destroy America. This is some, you know, rocky shit with Ivan Drago and, and Rocky Balboa. We're, we're, we're going in a time war, but this is real. The Russians have bad intentions. It is clear. Our national security apparatus has told us that. Our, our internal security leaders have told us that. The Mueller report has told us that. So you should be concerned. You should ask yourself, in the midst of all this other nonsense and all the partisan fighting and all the election stuff, what's America doing to stop the Russians from attacking our country's infrastructure, attacking our democracy, disrupting our elections, what we hold free and true? That should be a takeaway from the Mueller report that I think is unreported. Now, meanwhile, the rest of the world is on fire. Brexit's ripping apart Europe. Notre Dame literally burned to the ground. And over 300 people were killed after an Easter bombing in Sri Lanka. They targeted Catholics, and now we find out that ISIS has claimed responsibility. Now, again, you've gotten a lot of coverage on it. But on this show, I want to go a little deeper. I want to approach it from a different angle, or maybe from my perspective. And, and that's often looking for leadership. And that's what I see lacking right now. The world needs unity. The world needs leadership. The world needs American leadership now more than ever. And our president, he's tweeting ridiculous shit daily. He's not focusing on bringing people together to respond to Sri Lanka. He's not figuring out a strategy to attack ISIS in response. He's tweeting crazy shit. In one 24-hour period, check this out, Trump tweeted and retweeted 52 things. In a 30-minute span on, on Monday night, he retweeted 24 times on nine different topics from 15 people. Now, I'm pretty, you know, prolific on, on Twitter. I like a good retweet. I push some stuff out. I get interested in a lot of things. But this is a whole nother level. He's the president. And it's crazy. The world is on fire. And he's not focused on it. And rather than focusing his power, his time, and his Twitter on our nation's enemies or our nation's problems, he's spraying nonsense everywhere. In public, on Twitter. It's more than, than, than troubling. It's embarrassing for all Americans. He's like our drunk, crazy, racist uncle that nobody likes ranting in the parking lot in the middle of the night. You know, Chris Saliza broke it down. He retweeted, he laid a whole list of all the different things that, that Trump tweeted and retweeted. And he retweeted that Fox and Friends, uh, the unapologetically pro-Trump morning show, is, quote, by far the best morning political show on television. Great. So, you know, people are getting killed in Syria and the president is telling us about what the best morning show is. He tweeted that in the old days, 
if you were president and you had a good economy, you were basically immune from criticism, which is, of course, bullshit. Uh, he, he tweeted that the New York Times, quote, will have to get down on their knees and beg for forgiveness. They are truly the enemy of the people. This stuff's got to stop. The enemy of the people stuff over and over again, turning people against our media. And then, you know, he tweeted his, his favorite uh, conservative conspiracy theory that Twitter has a liberal bias and does everything it can to make it harder for conservatives to use the platform. He offered no specifics, no fact-based examples. And then there are a bunch of retweets, like most of them, 10, were focused on the Mueller investigation. Another six with the false accusations that he had been the subject of a spying campaign uh, directed by the Justice Department. Uh, Just all kinds of madness. And I think at the end of the day, what does this mean? For me, he continues to set kind of an anti-example in leadership and human behavior. You wake up every morning and this guy's on TV and you got to try to explain it to your kids and he's, he's a demonstration of what not to do. He had a tweet where he wrote, quote, Morning Psycho Joe. He's talking about Joe Scarborough from Morning Joe, who helped me get elected in 2016 by having me on, parens free, all the time, has nosedive. Too angry, dumb, and sick. That's what a president is, is calling people psycho and saying they're too angry, dumb, and sick. If he was that uncle in the parking lot, we'd tell people he was sick. We'd probably make some excuses. We'd probably take him to a doctor. Or if he was a danger to himself and others, we'd probably do an intervention. And maybe that's finally what's happening in America. Which takes me to my next topic. Impeachment is now on the table. It's out there. The Democrats are no longer afraid of talking about impeachment. And I'm going to tell you, I think it's not only on the table, it's likely. AOC signed on, right? Alessia Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, has said, you know, she wants to push impeachment. Now, you can dismiss her if you want, but she's powerful and she's got influence. And that's a big deal. Elizabeth Warren, too, the first presidential campaign uh, candidate to, to, to say so. So there's a dam that's kind of breaking. And with all this and other stories, important stories that continue to below the radar of most Americans, I I want you to take a step back and and recognize that I think impeachment's coming. And the Democrats have been playing a cute game, but there are elements of this party and elements of this country that want to see impeachment. So I think it's coming. And and the Democrats, you know, may want to keep the middle away from impeachment, but slowly this drumbeat is growing. And I think it's going to crescendo. And I think we're going to have very much a a, a situation where we've got to deal with impeachment. And people are going to have to pick sides. This is is real. Also real and totally under the radar. I've been tracking on this every episode. It's been 307 days since the Pentagon did an interview on camera. I'm going to remind you every time. The Pentagon is still not talking to the media on camera. They're not telling you what's happening with your Department of Defense, which used to be called the Department of War. They're not telling you on camera who's dying. They're not telling you on camera who we're at war with. They're not telling you on camera anything. 307 days, no public accountability from our Department of War. That should concern you. That should bother you. That is probably below your radar. 
also below everybody's radar outside of the show, the 9-11 First Responders Victims Compensation Bund bill is still not passed. That's a problem. We had Rob Sarah on a couple weeks ago. If you haven't listened to it, go back and check it out. I'm going to give you updates. It still has not passed. It's basically been pushed to the back of the line because all this other nonsense is going on. But it's an important issue that I think you should be tracking on. Also, this is this is a real shout out to my friend Art Davis in Ohio and a lot of other friends who have been raising this issue up and asking me to focus on it. There's an opioid epidemic that's ravaging our country that most of the media is not covering. The president's not focused on. Congress is not focused on. We're losing people daily to opioids. This is a real thing that's ripping apart families, and it's off the radar. So I'm going to use this show and every opportunity I can to focus on the fact that opioids are real, and this is a national problem. It's a national public health emergency. It's on some levels a national security issue. I mean, this is real. It's an epidemic, and so is suicide. That's another issue I want to focus on, especially among veterans. 20 veterans are lost to suicide every day. 20, check us out, 23 veterans have died by suicide at VA facilities in the last 18 months. These are veterans who have died by suicide on a VA facility, on the campus, in the hospital. Earlier this month, two died in Georgia in one weekend. I'm going to break it down for you. The first incident occurred in a parking lot at the Carl Vincent VA Medical Center in Dublin, Georgia. The second, one day later, a 68-year-old shot himself outside the Atlanta VA Center. The Atlanta Constitutional uh, Journal-Constitution was, was reporting this. The, the guy, Colonel Jim Turner, 55, put on his service uniform. He drove to the VA and he shot himself outside the medical center. And they found a note next to his body. And this is what the note said. I bet if you look at the 22 suicides a day, you will see VA screwed up in 90%. That's what the note said from Colonel Jim Turner, 55, a man who nobly served this country. And in his dying breath, made a statement, made a call out to our country to say, this is messed up. We need help. This is not just... Uh, you know, a run-of-the-mill suicide. This is a political statement. And there is a, a, an immediate need for resources for people like that colonel and so many others. But I want people to understand this is happening. It's happening nationwide. It should make you angry. It should outrage you. It should involve you, I hope. And there are resources at angryamericans.us. If you feel like you're struggling, if you have friends who are struggling, we want this to be a community. But on a, on a, on a very basic level, what I want people to know is this is happening. This is happening nationwide. And the president, he's tweeting about Morning Joe and what TV shows he likes. That's what he's doing. And that's not a partisan attack. I don't care if it's Barack Obama or George Washington who's president. When you're the commander-in-chief, you have a responsibility to focus this country on its priorities. That's part of being a leader, defining goals and defining priorities. And he's failing to do that. But what did he do? He met with Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter. He did make time for the CEO of Twitter. It was kind of like when he sat down with Kanye and Jim Brown. That's what it looked like. But what it also looked like to me was the president putting pressure on Twitter to ensure he doesn't get kicked off of his favorite platform. He's shoring up his base. Just like when he sits down and meets with Fox News anchors. He wants to make sure that Twitter is locked up. And Twitter... 
they, they got a lot of work to do, man. They're like the new NFL. Now, this is what a, a Twitter spokesperson told Fox via email. Jack, meaning Jack Dorsey, Jack had a constructive meeting with the President of the United States today at the President's invitation. They discussed Twitter's commitment to protecting the health of public conversation ahead of the 2020 U.S. elections and efforts underway to respond to the opioid crisis. Yeah. Bullshit. That's what I say. And I love Twitter as much as anybody. But this is bullshit. Twitter putting out this statement saying, yeah, nothing to see here. Here's what I ask. Twitter, do your job. Do your job. Make Twitter a place where hate is not allowed, where white nationalism is not allowed, where abusing kids is not allowed, where crossing the line is not allowed. If you wouldn't say it in your job, if you wouldn't say it in your church, if you wouldn't say it at your school, you shouldn't say it on Twitter. That's what I ask everyone, and I hope we expect of everyone. But for Twitter, when people break the rules, when a kid stands up in class and tells everybody to go fuck themselves, you ask that kid to leave the classroom. If Trump does that, you ask him to leave the classroom too. Jack Dorsey, grow a spine. You're a billionaire. Twitter, grow a spine. That includes the president. If he crosses the rules, he is not above the law. He is not above social norms. He is not above the rules of engagement on Twitter. And I would expect you to exercise your authority and do your job. Back to the president, who f- continues to fail to do his job. He doesn't just uh, fail to attack the failing VA or Russia or Kim Jong-un or white nationalism. He doesn't attack any of those things. Those are the things I think he should attack. But what does he continue to attack? The press. So the White White House Press Corps dinner, uh, White House Correspondents Dinner is this weekend. I'm actually going to go. And next week, uh, I'll, I'll share with you my insights. That ought to be interesting. I've been, I think, twice before. Uh, highlight of which was watching Zach Galifianakis hide a beer behind a potted plant for real. Like that happened. Longer story, maybe another time. But it's a weird, weird event. But maybe one of the biggest concentrations of, of media and political power in one room on any given night. I'm going. I got a ticket through a friend. But Trump is not. And even, even, even more interestingly, he has ordered officials to boycott the correspondence dinner. The president, angry at the political media, has tried to disrupt this, so he is ordering his staff not to go, because that's really productive. That's going to add some some light to all the heat. He ain't going. But most of the presidential candidates will be there, like all 92 of them or whatever, which now includes at least one more person, uh, which on some levels is actually some good news. The next item I want to bring to your attention is that the camouflage wave continues to grow. I've talked about this a lot. The camouflage wave is this group of veterans, Republicans, Democrats, from all over the country who are running for office. People who I think represent some hope and and some positivity and some execution capacity. They are the camouflage wave, Republicans and Democrats. And there's a new one, Seth Moulton. He's in. I know Seth. He's a Marine veteran. He's a congressman from Massachusetts. I think he did four tours. uh, And he's jumping in. You know, he is the latest Democrat to join the mix, maybe 19 in all. But what I want to pull out is something you may not be tracking on, which is that he is the third post 9-11 veteran running for president. Him, uh, Mayor Pete, who served in the Navy, and Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii, who's still in National Guard. That makes three post 9-11 vets running for president so far 
They're all Democrats. Maybe there'll be Republicans who jump in. But this is significant. And I ask you to keep an eye on this because I hope, it's my hope, that these men and women can be a source of, of unity. They are angry Americans for sure. I hope they'll all join this, this show in the future. But I think they can hopefully bring people together. And they definitely have some expertise. And a special, especially on national security and defense issues, that is welcome. That is needed. And I think it's going to bring a, an important element to the debates when you see them up on the stage. Uh, Biden's also maybe jumping in soon. I think it's going to make him an immediate front runner. And barring any implosions, he, he's probably going to be the last man standing for the Democrats. Look, the, the road is long here. And that's not an endorsement from me, but I think it's an educated prediction. If, if things go according to plan, which they never do, you know, the enemy gets a vote. We always say in the army that no plan survives enemy contact. But if it goes according to plan and it goes according to the odds, it's going to be him versus Trump. So look out for that. All right. Up next, not running for president, Ron Perlman, our guest from last week. If you didn't hear that episode, go back and check it out. We had Ron Perlman on. He was amazing. But related, because we had Ron Perlman on this week, I wanted to bring this to your attention. The Hells Angels Clubhouse in New York City has been sold. You probably haven't seen this, but the Hells Angels have this historic spot, uh, strangely, in the East Village of New York City. They, they, they had this block where crime was minimal. They had the bikes parked out in front. It had been there forever, and they sold it. They saw gentrification, which is happening in many cities around the, the country, is happening in New York City. And the Hells Angels sold their clubhouse for, I think, $12 million, which is kind of bonkers. But that happened this week. And I want to bring it to your attention because it's a part of American culture. Also in New York, and maybe as loved and as hated as the Hells Angels, but impacting, impacting everyone, this relates to the Yankees. America the Beautiful was canned by the Yankees. This was a subject of great debate at my house this weekend uh, over Easter, but the Yankees and the Flyers are going to stop playing Kate Smith's song after they discovered that there had been some racist songs that, that she had written. Kate Smith sang God Bless America. It was the song that was the staple of the seventh inning stretch for the Yankees since 2001. I had to educate my... Uh, uh, father, my brother's father-in-law, Brucey, that, that this actually hadn't been happening since the beginning of time. It only happened since 2001, but both teams have announced they're stopping playing Smith's version of God Bless America after discovering she sang some songs with racist lyrics in the 30s, which I'm okay with. I think most people will be, will be okay with once they understand that, but I think Fox News and Hannity are going to have their head explode over this one. They're going to dial it up you know, and, and drench it in misinformation. But that happened. Related to sports, a lot going on. Cool stuff. Stanley Cup playoffs, NBA playoffs, all rolling on and getting really fun. If you're not tracking on the NHL playoffs, I think you should be. Five out of six of the playoff series went to 3-3, meaning five out of six of the matchups are going to have a game seven. That's fun. You need an escape from politics and all the news, NHL playoff hockey. Even if you're not a hockey fan, I think NHL playoff hockey is pretty exciting. Also, less exciting, the NFL, the NBA playoffs uh, have been less close in the early rounds. But this might be the year of the small market teams in the NBA. Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee Bucks, not a team most people track on, are looking awesome. They have the best record in the NBA. Really fun to watch. Portland. 
Portland, Oregon, not Portland, Maine, which I love. Portland, Oregon, the Portland Trailblazers also looking good. So is Philly, Golden State, uh, all looking good. Not looking good, the Lakers. That's that's a, an issue for another time. But I'm always going to talk about sports because I think sports and politics are very closely intertwined. Sports help define what it is to be American. Uh, and, and whether you're a sports fan or not, this influences everything in America. Also related, the NFL draft is this weekend, Nashville, Tennessee, which is awesome for Nashville. This is a boon for their economy. The, the, the draft used to be in New York every year. Uh, occasionally it moved to big cities, but now it's it's rotating and it's going to Nashville, Tennessee, which is awesome for Nashville. I love that town. I think it's cool that it's rotating around the U.S. And because it relates to their economy, it relates to their politics, it relates to the media. If you're not tracking, here are the top six picks in the NFL draft. Arizona Cardinals, number one. San Francisco 49ers, number two. The New York Jets, number three. Oakland Raiders, number four. Soon to be the Las Vegas Raiders, which is just fascinating on many levels. Uh, Tampa Bay Bucks at five. And my New York Giants at six. I'm really hoping that the Giants find a way to get Josh Rosen from the Cardinals and they don't waste it on a quarterback that's garbage. But Giants got a lot of work to do. We'll get into that with Pete Berg later in the show. But it's fun. And here's why I think it's important. You get to watch kids and their families When you watch the NFL draft, you watch their dreams come true in a moment. People who have worked their whole life, and granted, they're 18, 19 years old, but families that have sacrificed and have given up late nights and early mornings and worked third jobs. The moms and the dads who created a situation where these kids could be NFL level players. It's paid off. And I think it's inspiring. That moment when a kid gets drafted, it's like watching a family hit the lottery. And no matter what happens, if the dude blows his knee out or he doesn't become an NFL star, the reality is they got a contract. They got a very lucrative contract. And it's exciting because you see, for the most part, you know, lower middle class, middle class families jump a class. That's why I think the NFL draft is, is fascinating. You watch people become rich. Which is, which is powerful and it's part of you know the American dream, whether it's right or fair or not, it's true. And Trump is a, an example of someone who's played on that. But the NFL draft is real. And if you're not a football fan, tune in. I think it's exciting to watch and it can be inspiring. Related to inspiration, I really want to take a minute to recognize something that probably you didn't see in the news. 15 years ago today, Pat Tillman lost his life serving in Afghanistan. And this is a man who followed his true calling. Uh, the Tillman scholars uh, carry on his legacy. And I remember, you know, when he died in Afghanistan, I felt like it was a really important turning point in the cultural understanding of the wars in Iraq. Because for most people, they don't know anybody who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. But people felt like they knew Pat Tillman. And he was a, a, an American hero, I think. He was a dynamic guy. He was an educated guy. His brother also served with him in the Rangers. And I think we'd all you know, wish that Pat Tillman was around today to reflect on what happened. But I think we're, we're grateful for his inspiration. And he's a positive force, a kind of a, a true north that can, I think, inspire people uh, to this very day. So we're going to pour a little out for Pat Tillman and, and I think try to honor his legacy on this show um, and 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 the other folks who continue to serve. All right, shifting gears. Last week I ranted about the last uh, the lack of public bathrooms in America. I heard from a lot of you 
And this was a topic that really got people cranked up. And I especially heard about how crappy, pardon the pun, the situation is at rest stops all along the highways of America. I hadn't thought about that, but I was glad to hear it. Uh, and I think I hear you. There's damn good reason to be angry. Uh, big shout out to uh, some of the folks on Twitter who sounded off. Uh, Creighton ONC. Want to give a shout out to you? She sent me a note and said, "This one's got. Uh, this one's for you, Paul Reichoff. Denver's got you covered." Hashtag Angry Americans. And she sent me this photo of an amazing looking public restroom in Denver. Denver, always a source of innovation. They got these dope public restrooms set up. I think that that's a great example uh, for the rest of America's cities to, to think about. Um, but public bathrooms, a real problem. Our infrastructure sucks. And this is not just you know the coast. This is an outrage that's national. And like this show, it, it's urban, but it's also rural. And for the rural folks, you know, if you live out in the country, you can just go in the woods. That's a fact. But I think that's another advantage of, of country living. Uh, and I always want to make sure that we give a shout out to you folks. Uh, but speaking of trees, as we round the bend and, and complete my recap, 420 was this weekend. And for those of you that don't know, I wanted to break it down. 420 has gone from kind of a fringe thing to a mainstream thing to a presidential candidate level thing. Uh, 420 has always been the kind of international counterculture holiday where people come together to celebrate and consume cannabis, weed, marijuana, whatever you want to call it. But now it's mainstream. Uh, and, and 420, the April 20th, uh, is, is now kind of realized as, as, a, as a national holiday. It goes back to this story about some high school kids um, back in, in, uh, in California, San Rafael, California. They used to call themselves the Waldos. You can Google this and find it. But they used to hang out outside of school, and they used 420 to coincide with the time that they would get together. At 4.20 p.m., it became the socially accepted hour to consume cannabis. And this kind of caught on, became the thing of legend. But here's what I want to break down for you. In my view, at this point, and I think especially in the future, marijuana is going to be deeply rooted in American culture. Uh, it's a part of who we are, but it's a, it's a rapidly evolving one. And if we as a country can get it right, it can be one of our biggest, most successful global exports. Maybe since, I was trying to think of a cultural comparison, maybe since the NBA when the NBA went global, when basketball went global, or maybe more, 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 more directly, it's kind of like hip hop. And in my view, hip hop and marijuana are similar in some respects. They were viewed as something extreme, something for the other, and often something dangerous. They were demonized by politicians. They were feared by many old white people especially by, by politicians and people in the public eye. But over time, people woke up and they realized that they had positive potential. Hip-hop and marijuana had positive potential. So they could both tell a story and hip-hop would, would tell a story and give voice to the voiceless. And marijuana could make people with cancer feel better or fuel an economy. So I'm going to talk about cannabis and marijuana on this show. I've seen the positive impacts that it can have on the health of people, especially veterans, uh, people with cancer. And I'm going to be an advocate for reform on that issue. But 420 was this past weekend. Many people recognized it and celebrated it in different ways, but it was also a policy 
issue that is now front and center. Um, also this weekend, Game of Thrones is rolling on, so I'm sure many of you are tracking on that. I promised you recommendations for each weekend, so going into this weekend, if you need a recommendation that'll power your energy, that will maybe de- help you deal with your anger, that'll make, a, make you feel a little bit better going to the weekend, there's a new Gary Clark Jr. album, and it is fierce. If you don't know Gary Clark Jr., you're welcome. He's one of the best guitarists I've ever seen. I've seen him live. He's maybe the closest thing to Jimi Hendrix that I've ever seen. I know that's a big statement, but it's real. He's a force. And there's a new album and a new song called This Land. Check out This Land by Gary Clark Jr. It's powerful. It's ripping into Trump's America, and it's ripping into Trump's America through the eyes of a black man. It is powerful, it is important, and the whole damn album is fire. So check out Gary Clark Jr., um, and I hope that can help you through your week and through your weekend. Last weekend was Easter, uh, so you know I hope your kids had a great time. My brother told me over the weekend that, that he had an epiphany. He wants to open a Waffle House upstate New York. Now, if you live down south, you know about Waffle House. If you live up north, you maybe don't. Maybe you're catching on. My brother decided he wanted to open a Waffle House. And I asked him why. And he said, that's where the money would be. Now, we'll see if my brother actually opens a Waffle House. But it brought me back to an issue that I wanted to finally bring forward to angry Americans. Now, occasionally, I guest host for uh, Chris Cuomo on Sirius XM POTUS Channel 124. If you're coming over to the pod after listening to me over there, thank you. And look out for me over there in, in weeks and days to come. But every, every day I host over there, I brought a, a great debate of the day forward. An issue that can really get America cranked up. You have to pick a side. You can't pick the middle. There is no middle in this debate. But I'm going to present some questions, some debate issues that will... Ignite America and really generate some conversation around something that defines our culture. And it brought me to my most popular presentation ever. Waffles versus pancakes. If you could only pick one, what would it be? Waffles or pancakes? This is a question that will divide America. It may unite America. There is no third party option. You cannot choose French toast. You cannot choose Howard Schultz. There is no Ross Perot. You have to pick a side. Use the hashtag, Angry Americans. Tell me where you stand. Are you team waffles or are you team pancakes? I'm going to present these issues from time to time. Hopefully, they'll bring a smile to your face. But drop it in in the backyard when you guys are hanging out and having a beer or or jumping on the trampoline or whatever you do, waffles versus pancakes, and, and watch your family enjoy the debate. So this weekend, you know, you can go listen to the new Gary Clark Jr. album. You can celebrate 420 for a second time eat those leftover easter egg candies maybe some waffles and pancakes or both but enjoy some spring weather uh that's reikoff's recap for this episode it's a crazy time in america our nation's in distress but as i've said before in every crisis there's opportunity and for everything that makes your blood boil there's probably a reason to smile and for every dude that pisses you off there's one that can inspire you there's plenty of reason to be an angry american but there's also plenty of reasons to be a happy one. And with this show, there's always an opportunity for you to get involved and sound off. So use the hashtag AngryAmericans. Tell me what you think about this show, about any of the issues in my rapid recap, or about anything else that's on your mind. Our country is in distress, that's for sure. But you can help make it a bit better every single day. That starts with being aware and being informed 
and it continues with being connected and involved. I hope this show helps make that happen for you and for many and for many others. We're all in this together and we're all a little angry, but more importantly, we're also all Americans. So every week on Angry Americans, I'm going to bring you an important, iconic, or inspiring American. Somebody who has shaped who we are as a country and someone who's going to shape the future. And someone who's angry about something. And someone who's going to bring you some wisdom, some inspiration, some knowledge, and hopefully a damn good conversation. This week, we've got a really special treat. The director, actor, cultural force, Mr. Peter Berg. Angry Episodes is now live in the flesh with the great and powerful Peter Berg. Are we live? Well, we're live to recording. Okay, good. Just checking. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we are at a really cool spot. We are at the Classic Car Club Manhattan, which has all kinds of cars from American history and international cars. We're also shooting video for YouTube and for folks who aren't able to get to podcasts. But first of all... I want to thank you for being here, man. I want to thank you for having me, and thank you for being so inspiring by getting in such great shape. <laughs> How much weight did you lose? I lost 31 pounds. How'd you do it? Uh, mostly calorie deficit. I it, just got fucking serious about not bringing in so much food into my body. It wasn't the anger of being an angry American that no. just started eating you alive, <laughs> literally? No, it was prepping for the birth of another child. That got me focused. More than any football game, more than any combat mission, the idea of having to carry a second child around New York City and around the country, that got me focused, man. But whatever, whatever you did, it works. It's Thank very you, inspiring. Brother. Thank you, brother. Well, to start the interview, I want to kind of ruin that because I've been giving gifts to my guests, and you have been very humble enough to give us guests to be my guests. So Is it edible, they are. And oh. continuing on the theme from Willie Geist, um, you are also very fit, so you probably don't eat these things, peeps. But peeps, you know, because I want to, I want to know if you were to choose those colors, Peterberg. Yeah, we got yellow. Is there THC in any of these? I don't know. They're if not there's edibles. not THC in it. There should be. That would be a genius uh, move for I peeps. I just need to know. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. But which of those would you choose if you had to choose a color? Pink, for, for sure, no question. Why? Why pink? I mean, I don't know. I've always, I've always associated pink with strength, with courage, that. clarity of conviction. Um, Canelo Alvarez, one of my favorite fighters, yeah, who, who spars at our gym, only wears pink when he's really, sparring. yeah. That's surprising. I go pink. I love that. That's the most unexpected choice. Can I keep the pink? You keep all three of them, man. All three is too many. You keep all three I'll of them. I'll give them to the camera guys. Okay, we'll in. give them to the, ca the camera guys. Here you guys go. Here you go. Uh, we're also shooting film. Uh, and, and, and these Mickey, guys came in last minute. They, they came in last minute, Mickey and Ben, because our normal camera guy, Ben's wife, is about to go into labor right now. You have two Bens? Sorry. Yes, the uh, the normal film guy is Ben, and this is the abnormal uh, backup, ben? backup Ben. The abnormal backup Ben. Backup Ben, pinch hitting Ben. And Ben Stoffer's wife just is about to go into labor, and I called these guys up like 48 hours ago, and I knew them through a mutual friend and said, hey, will you help me shoot Pete Berg at the car club? And being ambitious and focused and entrepreneurial Americans, they jumped on the opportunity, and here Appreciate they are. Appreciate it. Appreciate now you, they fellas. Now they get to watch you pick peeps. Thank you, Mickey and Ben. Um, I got one more gift for you. 
because you've been very generous to me throughout my life. Oh, I like this. Um, and that's just... I can tell what this is. This looks like alcohol. That's some whiskey, because I think you got to have you a little sweet... I like whiskey. I do know you like whiskey. Can I open it? Please, please, by all means. And I, and this may sound good on, on podcast. It may not. So... What is it? Taylor? It's called Colonel 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 E.H. Taylor. Cheers. Yes. And Cheers it's an American that. whiskey. And I also thought it was appropriate because it's named after a colonel. And you are not a colonel officially, but you might as well be. A colonel, a general, an admiral. And you've been leading many forces and stewarding many ships over the last couple of years. And on a serious note, what I want to do with these interviews, Pete, and I appreciate mm -hmm. you doing it, is I want to interview iconic, important, and inspiring Americans, people who are shaping the fabric of America. And when I got ready to interview you, I thought about it, man, and you do, I, I have a longer intro in the beginning of the pod, mm -hmm. but you've really helped define the American experience in film in a lot of ways. Sports, music, and the military are kind of these through lines. Mm -hmm. And that's a big reason I want to talk to you because I think you've helped for many people and probably internationally to a huge extent define what it is to be American, right? Well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I've certainly been attracted to um, American proletarian working class stories. Yeah. Um, I've always found a great deal of inspiration uh, in, in the, the simple complexity of those stories. Um, whether it's high school football players in Texas um, or, or Navy SEALs, guys that have done uh, what you've done, um, I, I find um, these stories to be really dynamic and fascinating, and they get me going. And that passion is kind of drives you through all of this. But I, when I look back on it, there is a, like a modern American redefining of patriotism that's a through line, whether it's QB1 or it's, um, you know, oil rig workers or it's Navy SEALs, you know, you really are getting into the ethos of what it means for working class people, but also people who are sometimes on the front lines of political and policy decisions. So the Boston bombing, mm -hmm. you know, the war in Afghanistan, these are the people who are kind of downstream in America's political decisions and breaking news, right? Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that, that I've I found interesting about making movies like Patriot's Day, where, where I got to spend a lot of time with the Boston FBI um, and the Boston PD and other other police departments around Boston, like like Watertown, um, where they actually uh, got in the, into the gunfight with their Zenaif brothers, uh, or or the oil rigs, where I, I got to spend time, um, not obviously on the deep water rig because that sunk, but on other yeah. rigs and got to meet the workers. Um, and, and not just the workers, but the company men uh, and the guys that work for the oil companies. And, um, and with Lone Survivor, obviously a lot of time with Navy SEALs, these are people who are in the middle of sort of politically charged environments, like yeah. you're saying. But I found, I found and I find generally to be true that when you actually strip that away and just kind of look at the people and look at the job they're doing, they're really not particularly politically motivated. Right. Um, they're generally people of really high uh, personal character. They've got um, strong work ethics. They do believe in in our country. They believe in being patriotic, um, and they're just doing that. Yeah. And I've I've enjoyed trying to divorce politics as much as I can from those stories. And I've I've 
you know, experience success in being able to do that and sort of say, let's put aside red state, blue state for a second yep. and look, look at what we actually have in common. And I find uh, there's quite a bit that we do have in common. Yeah. And I think that's that's a powerful theme that's sometimes missing in this country. And I'm trying to bring it into this show is the idea that there are a lot of people who put country first above party, above politics, and you're deep into it with these guys and gals. I mean, you're with fighters, right? Like you talked about Canelo. Mm -hmm. You've been around people like Ronda Rousey who've become these iconic, defining, inspirational people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, these are people who probably all say they care deeply about their country, but they're not aligned to one party or another. No, I, I don't think there's so much aligned to a specific party. I mean, uh, a, lot, a lot of the extreme military guys I know probably generally would identify for a variety of reasons more Republican than Democrat, as you well know. But I find that that's a very you know superficial uh, uh, label. And the second you take a guy like Marcus Luttrell uh, and start to to poke a little deeper, you find out how, how incredibly complex his, his politics really are, um, how liberal, surprisingly liberal he can be on a wide variety of issues, um, and, and you know, obviously conservative on others, but I find that um, generally people are very, very hard to, to categorize, unless you start talking about certain flash issues like gun control, Guns, I generally yeah. try and stay away from. Yep. Yeah. You're not, it's just that's a that's a flash issue. Abortion obviously is a flash issue, um, but aside from you know gun control and 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 abortion, gun gun control probably being number one. Yeah. Um, I find uh, I'm I'm constantly surprised uh, at at how liberal uh, certain people's views are and how conservative people that I would never think would be or uh, their viewpoints are. Yeah, I want to talk about. Um the sports element of this mm -hmm. because I think sports and politics are more interwoven now or maybe more front of mind in how they're interwoven now. Than, but I want to take a step back. Every guest on this show this season, I've asked a, a question straight up to start. And I want to ask Peter Berg, the great Peter Berg. First car. What was the first car you ever had in your life, man? The first car, and it's a, it's, I'm, it still hurts me. My dad gave me, when I was going to college, his 69 Chevelle in wow. pristine pristine shape and uh my friend yanni and i yanni was from uh from athens greece drove it from new york to minnesota where i went to school trashed it i think i got in three accidents <laughs> on the way um a red warning light came on yeah about halfway to minneapolis uh, and we thought the best course of action was to stop at a hardware store buy some black electrical tape and just tape over the red light so we didn't have to see it. Smart. And we blew out the rings and, and pretty much blew out the whole engine somewhere near Cleveland. Um, and within a year and a half of having it, it was just destroyed. You and Yanni, the Greek guy, rolling we, across country in a 69 Chevelle. What color was it, the Chevelle? It was bird? forest green. Forest it was, green. It was gorgeous. It was a, it was, wow. I mean, if I had it now and had kept it, it would probably be, I'm sure they could tell me here, but be worth a couple of hundred grand. If White really, interior? I can't remember what the interior was. There was so much junk, garbage, and <laughs> like just bad That's, things, that, bodily fluids all over the interior. I can't remember, but it was forest green. And it was it was a beautiful car. That, and, that's literally one of my dream cars growing up. It was like '69 Chevelle, '69 Camaro. That time period, we're at the Classic Car Club, and we were just looking at Shelby's and some of the other American yeah. muscle cars out there. Yeah. But but car culture, 
is kind of defined America. Do you, how much do you think about cars when you're doing the film? I mean, films and shows you did, you know, Entourage and Ballers and these other shows where cars are kind of a part of their characters in and of themselves, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I really did. I was a big fan of um, muscle cars and American muscle cars and the GTOs, the Chevelles, um, Oh, the Roadrunners. Yeah. I remember when I first met Mickey Rourke, he had a collection of like 11 original late 60 uh, Roadrunners, and I thought those were amazing. I'm I'm more into, you know, if I, if I was going to pick a car, it would probably be an early 70s, late, late 60s muscle car. I mean, nowadays I feel like, you know, culture's so around like blinged out cars, like, yeah. you know, Lamborghinis and... Uh, Bentleys and Maseratis and all like I I appreciate them, but I'm more of an, an old school muscle car guy. There's kind of a comeback though, right? Like the new Dodge Chargers yeah. and this like the muscular look of the Camaros. And I even drove a, a Cadillac recently. Like Cadillacs even feel more muscle car-y, you know, the two doors. Like, do you feel like there's a bit of a resurgence, like a yeah. return to like American muscle car identity? I think so. And uh I like the um Oh, sh- what's the Ford pickup truck? Uh, is it the Raptor? Is it? I don't know. Yeah, the yeah. Ford Raptor I yeah. like. Um, the Ford trucks look good, though. There's a new electric uh, pickup truck called the Rivian. Have you heard of it? No. That some friends of mine are involved with that's getting a lot of noise. It was just, I think, right here across the street yeah. this week at the New York Car Show. Yeah, we're across uh, the street from the Jacob Javits Center where the, the International Car Show is going on right now, which is an awesome experience where they roll out the new car. So this thing is over there. Yeah, the Rivian's over there, and I've gotten to know the guys that are making that, and I I am intrigued with the whole concept of AI and how it's going to function and self-driving and computerized vehicles and kind of just as AI moves into vehicles, what what Elon Musk has done, what Rivian's doing. I think it's it's starting. I'm starting to pay attention in ways that I never have. I love it. Have you ever have you ever driven in a self-drive? No. I was with no. my buddy and his Tesla. I feel like it now, though. Like, I drove, when you drive a new car and it keeps you in lanes yeah, and yeah. you're using cruise control, like, there's not a whole lot left for you to do anymore. Well, except pay attention. Yeah, except pay attention. <laughs> except, like, and not brake. Like, yeah. we went, we drove, uh, my buddy and I drove in his Tesla. He had self driving and we were in LA and we were driving on San Vicente Boulevard, which is kind of a residential ish street. And we got into about 11 accidents. <laughs> And like in about you go four through cars minutes. pretty fast. Yeah, but it just it wasn't working. Like <laughs> yeah, we were about to it. ram cars. You know, we weren't stopping at stop signs, and I was like, "Fuck this! It's not." It right. wasn't Yanni, the Greek guy, going out to Minnesota with you. No, it was a reinvention of that. <laughs> but so I don't, I don't think it's there quite yet. Yeah. But if you if you look at what a company like Rivian is proposing to be able to do in yeah. the near future, it's pretty amazing. It's it's inspiring stuff. Um, I want to ask you. I asked this of all the guests, you know, if, if you're not, I, I think if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. No matter what your background is, this show is, is kind of an examination of the great American experiment. I think a lot of folks are concerned about where this country is right now for a variety of different reasons. But is there, is there anything that's got you angry? If you watch you on Instagram, you look like an angry dude, but you're actually a very yeah. thoughtful, cerebral, kind dude. I've seen that as a, as a friend of yours over the years, but the, you know what's what's got your blood I boiling? Mean, I mean, I just you like animated right, right now more than anything else. Social media has got me pretty angry. I feel like it is um, you know, the the addiction is out of control. Yeah. Um, nobody seems to understand it. 
Um, nobody seems to understand what the implications of it are going to be. Um, the fact that it seems as though so many people feel as though they're actually working or accomplishing something by hitting a few buttons on their cell phones, um, I find to be disturbing. Um, I find the, um, the, the connection that people seem to be making between work ethic and cell phones to be disturbing. And um, I, don't, I don't like it. Um, I don't like the power that companies like Google and Facebook and their analytics departments seem to have. Um, uh, I, just, I just finished a book. Actually, I haven't finished yet because it's really dense. But um, uh, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, mm. if, you, if you've heard of it, it's a mm. remarkable book about, about Google and how Google was able to figure out that, um, that whenever somebody goes onto a computer to do anything involving Google, there's what they call data exhaust, which is all the stuff, the information, right. the ability to interpret every little thing you do and think that originally they weren't capturing, they were letting it go. Um, and in the early 2000s, they realized if they captured that, they could commoditize it and they could sell it. And the, the selling to analytical companies of our data from companies like Google and Facebook in uh, the ways in which they're able to manipulate not just how we shop, but how we think and what kind of news we get and fundamentally how we vote and how we sort of organize our lives is scary to me. And it, it does anger me that nobody seems to be paying any attention to that. Uh, and, and just the fact that social media is people are looking at it as a job today. And I, yeah. I, I don't like it. How do you balance that with what you do as a storyteller and a creative visionary yeah i, I mean how well, do you I, I mean what i find is that if i if i do start engaging in in social media or start engaging with my phone too much um my ability to be creative to generate real creative flow in my own mind the things that have always gotten me you know work and have always been really my happiest moments and when i'm actually sitting by myself generating ideas and thinking the more time i spend engaging in kind of you know junk stimuli which is what i consider 98 percent of social media to be the the lower my output is the lower my creative output is mm. so i literally just spend as much time as i can now hiding from my phone yeah i'll put my phone away for long long periods of time and not be so quick to react and respond to it mm. but you, that's got to be how you're so prolific i mean you you're cranking stuff out man i mean i was talking to you a couple months ago when you had two major spots in the super bowl mm -hmm. at the same time and i've got to talk about that because i want to talk to you about football but you 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 created I think an, an iconic ad, the, the, the NFL 100, is it? The, the yeah, spot, right? Yeah. The, this amazing spot that came in after, right after halftime with all these NFL greats that are at a black tie event, like an award ceremony. It breaks out into... All like, hell breaks loose. Yeah, tackle football game, yeah. It's the tackle football from your dreams, yeah. right? I mean, you've got these guys from yeah. every era throwing the ball around. Yeah. I mean, can you talk about well, that? I mean, that was... That, you know, that was... Um, I, I, I do work hard and I'm like crazy. I get it from my mom. I, I, I joke, I say, I go to bed angry and I wake up furious. <laughs> and I'm, I'm always, I, I, my motor runs pretty hot like yeah. yours does. Yeah. And um, so I, I like to work and, and I have a creative mind and I've been lucky enough to find a job that works well with my thought process so I can come up with crazy ideas and then put them into film or television or commercials. 
So I've, I've been working hard for a while and now I'm at a point where sometimes I have to generate the ideas and other times the ideas come to me. And with that Super yeah. Bowl spot, there's an ad agency called 72 and Sunny, um, a really, really bright guy named Glenn Cole runs it. Um, they're in LA. Um, and he came to me uh, with Roger Goodell and they sent me this, this um, treatment. It was just an idea. It was like tackle football game, breaks out at an awards banquet right and it you know it sounds so simple but it's really hard to come up with an idea that good yeah and, and that and that the, every superstar in the history of football from jim brown to saquon barkley are going to be there and i'm like yeah i'll do that like, <laughs> yeah like yeah the idea was so good and th that's 99 percent. and the names know. were already on so you knew the guys or did well, they you, didn't was have that any names at first but they had this wish list and i was kind of like i didn't believe we only had three weeks to film it so they had jim brown and joe montana and and franco harris and barry sanders and dick butkus and the 72 yeah. dolphins and yeah. this crazy wish list and i had this call with them and i'm like guys this is this is a great idea yeah cheers to yeah. the good yeah. idea yeah yeah Sure, I'll do it. Yeah. But I hung up thinking there's no way they'll ever get it together. And that the NFL is when the NFL decides to mobilize yeah. their their forces, when they aim all their weapons yeah. at a target, they're gonna hit it. Yeah. And I felt the full power of the NFL going after these guys. And then we started getting they started sending me the list of who was confirmed. And at a certain point I'm like, Guys, we only have 60 seconds. Like we can't, we can't bring people. Like fly them to LA, shoot them, and then cut. There's too many guys. We right. have to stop. Right. And then the, too and many amazing, iconic, yeah, too many, Hall of Fame too football stars. players I mean, in one commercial. You know, Patrick Mahomes, yep. Tom Brady, um, Drew Brees. The day after the New Orleans call where they lost right, right. he was pissed he was yeah. not in a good mood he was but, an angry american oh, he, he was <laughs> everybody in new orleans was man, an angry american get him um uh he's on the list drew Brees, you're welcome on the show yeah. anytime man yeah I huge mean, fan but we had like we had brady a week before the super yep. bowl todd Gurley, um aaron darnold who's the most insane physical specimen in the nfl like for anyone that's not hip to aaron darnold that guy's he's a beast yeah. but so i'm like we can't keep bringing these guys out here like what, what are we and we have 60 seconds and they're like well what are we going to do i'm like tell uh the commissioner we need 90 seconds because I, I don't see a way around this. Right. And I was kind of joking. A 90-second Super Bowl commercial, NFL still got to you know, pay for it or make a deal for that right. airtime. And within 15 minutes, like, all right, you got 90 seconds. Wow. And I'm like, okay, that's great, but don't bring anyone else on there. <laughs> and they did bring Emmett Smith without telling me, and I had to figure out what to do with Emmett. <laughs> but it was, um, it, it was just one of those things that once it, it got momentum, you know, and that's that's like the, one of the really great things about anything. You know, you're you're starting a new podcast. You're a super talented, passionate guy. Watch it will catch on, and suddenly all the things that you were struggling for and the the dam breaks, and it just all goes yeah. the right way. And yeah. that's what happened with that NFL spot. What 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 does that thirty seconds cost in the NFL? I mean, the market rate on like a thirty an extra thirty seconds is like five million dollars or something. So. Rumor has it, yes. no one knows exactly how the NFL pays for spots yes. on, on uh, 
their own game. So yeah. you, these are like weird deals done between who aired it. Was it CBS this year? I can't remember. Yeah, I think so. so it was whatever strange deals go on between CBS and the NFL, that's like, we'll never know. But rumor has it that, you know, at a certain point, there's a finite amount of ad space, right? right. And they're, they're actually more vigilant about that because they're trying to increase the rate of play. So say there's, I'm making this up, but say there's 45 minutes exactly of ad space. That's all they can sell. So they, they can break that 45 minutes however they want. And it's probably 5 million for a 30 second and then it, do the math from there for a six. But so they were out. They, we asked for nine, we asked for 30 more seconds, right. but they had sold all the time. There was no more time. So rumor has it that the powers that be in the NFL shrunk the halftime show by 30 seconds and gave us the extra. And when I heard that, I'm like, really? damn, that's power. Wow. We so you, you might be the I, only man in America who's actually adjusted halftime at the Super Bowl. Yeah, we changed. We cut 30 seconds out of Adam <laughs> Levine's performance. And, and, and um, America, America is grateful for it because you created, so. for a number was, of reasons, but you created maybe the greatest Super Bowl commercial of all I time mean, for football fans. If, anyway. you were, if you were at the stadium, yeah. The only time the audience got rowdy was, I think, the first drive Brady got picked. Yeah. Remember? Didn't yeah. Brady get picked the first drive? They, there was, but 90% of the fans there were, um, were Patriots fans. Right. So there was one cheer that came up. The only other cheer in the stadium the entire game was at halftime when they played the Super Bowl spot, and Franco Harris scooped up the ball. That the moment is amazing. The, the place stood up and that, started and screaming. The living room was, was, was yeah. nuts. I mean, did you come up with, there's a moment where the ball tumbles and it's bouncing around the room and it's, yeah. it's the immaculate reception, yeah. right? Like Franco Harris comes in and scoops it up. Well, so, I mean, I, I suggested that we reenact the, the whole the country went nuts in that but, moment. But what yeah. I, like, it, it wasn't hard. Like that wasn't like a big, like lightning bolt yeah, of inspiration. But, it was good. So we got, but what I did was every other pass in the um, commercial, we had like, you know, stunt quarterbacks throwing the pass to Odell and yeah. throwing the pass to Gonzalez and other passes. Um, you know, and I let them do it. But for Franco, I'm like, I want to throw it. So you so threw I, it. I stood off camera and threw the ball. And, and I was like, first I was like, we weren't. Did he catch it the first time? First time. Uh. But, but the other thing is like, I, you're never sure about, uh, I just saw Franco Saturday at the, uh, um, Crawford fight, by the way, at the garden. Yeah. I could tell you some of the best, but like, you don't know what shape these guys are going to show up in. Right. And, and I, you know, one, one of the things that was actually. For me, you know, someone that I've, I've done work on with the NFL on youth football and heads up tackling yeah. and some of the concussions issues, and I'm very sensitive to this. I was very happy with the condition of everyone from Jim, Jim Brown to Mercury Morris to Larry Zonka to Ladinian Tomlinson, who looks like he could play to yeah. Barry Sanders. Yeah. But I didn't know. Like, I was, you know, I was. You don't know if Franco Harris is going to be able to walk when he know, shows up. I didn't know whether he'd be able yeah. to run and yeah. pick. And I was like, yeah, he looked pretty good to me, and I'm like, Franco, you know, we're, we're going to try and recreate the American reception. He's like, sounds good. And I'm no like, one's ever asked him that before. I mean, at every party he's gone to for the rest of his life, they probably asked well, him to do it, right? I, you never know. Maybe. Or people, <laughs> but, but I'm like, I had to find out, you know, politely whether yeah. if you know whether he could jog and bend down. Yeah, Because you know, yeah. he's a big guy. Yeah. I have trouble bending down and tying my shoes right now, okay? <laughs> yeah. he, got, he got pounded up. And he's like, Pete, whatever you need, just you throw the ball, I'll be there. And like first take, threw Amazing. the ball, let him. He just found some speed, picked up with a big smile on his face. And you're never, 
sure how anything's going to be, you know, and like, like I'm in the business of making stuff and I put it out there and you never really know how yeah. people are going to, and I still wasn't sure about the, um, that Super Bowl spot. And then when we were at, in Atlanta at the game and Franco scooped it and the crowd just stood up and started roaring. I was like, this works. Yeah, it worked, man. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. A lot of fun. So I, I, I can't not talk to you about football. I'm you're, angry about the you, New York you, Giants. You, I mean, you, you, you and angry, I talk a lot about angry football. about social media. I'm very, very angry Save about my New Giants York Giants. Save the Giants because I really want to. I want to ask you. You and I talked about this over. over I'm having recently. dinner with the commissioner tonight. Is there anything you want me to ask him? Yes, I'd like to have him come on the show. That would be a great thing. Okay. Ask him to come on the show. <laughs> besides that, is there a question? Bes- like, besides that, what would you I ask think, the commissioner? Um, hmm. That's a really good question. Folks are listening. This is a great social media component. Hashtag angry Americans. What do you want Pete Berg to ask Roger Goodell? Um, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I met him a couple months ago. We talked about the national anthem protest. He actually had me come in to ask about veterans reactions. And we had polled IAVA members. And what we found is most of them didn't consider it a priority. It was divisive. A lot of folks said, you know, I will never kneel. Other people said, uh, you know, they have a right to do it. It's what I yep. fought for. But it was a divisive issue. I mean, I'm going to ask him straight up, like, what is his plan if Trump gets reelected? Because Trump, Trump's going to keep bombing away at the NFL. And as an NFL fan at this point, like, I, I think, you know, the press has been, in my opinion, you know, wounded and, the, and their public perception has been wounded by Trump's continued attacks. And NFL's got enough problems on their own, and they bring a lot of it on themselves, everything from, you know, the domestic uh, assault issues to head injuries. But what's the strategy if, if Trump wants to continue to bomb away on this thing that I love, that many of us love? Because now he's got to basically be a, a political strategist beyond mm-hmm. running the NFL, and that's always a political job to begin with on some levels. But what's he, what's he going to do with Trump if Trump gets reelected? I don't know. I'll talk to him about it. My guess is, you know, the the NFL will do anything and everything they can to try and divorce themselves from politics as quickly and ruthlessly as possible. Yeah. And then just go quiet. Yeah. But they're the last thing that any any owner, any one that works at the at the NFL, I think, wants to do is is get involved in in politics but can you do that now right like that's the conversation that you have kind of unpacked too i mean when you do friday night lights when you do qb1 like everything from socioeconomic status to race is a part of sports in america like sports and politics in my view from both from the founding right have been intertwined i think on some levels frankly it's naive to think you can break the two of them apart right and and the nfl's got challenges in that you know they've got the mccain before mccain died he did an investigation about uh how the nfl was working with the national guard and the reserves and there's there's all these other elements cte and head injuries one of them mm-hmm. so you're a you're a political actor when you run any kind of company of influence but especially one as big as the nfl so they can't get out of this now right i mean they are a political animal in the arena just like almost like a candidate yeah i mean if, if the issue is um players kneeling during during the national anthem. I mean, that's, I, I don't see any way that they're, the NFL is ever going to sort of uh, quietly give the nod to that. Mm. I think they will, they will just by nature of, of who they are at their core, never, never give the nod and say, okay, 
Kaepernick kneel, whoever yeah. the next Kaepernick. Yeah. I, I don't see that happening. Maybe they will. Yeah. I mean, Jerry Jones sort of did. Yeah. Although I feel like he walked it back. Yeah. Um, yeah. If there's issues with, you know, the, if there's issues with taking money or manipulating um, DOD marketing dollars uh, for halftime shows, for pregame shows, I I would imagine they would pull back from that real quick and make make sure yeah. they clean that up. I do believe that at the core of most NFL fans, most um, NFL players, most of the coaches I know, I know a lot of owners, I do believe, so take the owners out of it, because the owners are all super rich billionaires, mm -hmm. and when you're that rich, you kind of go mm -hmm. crazy and you live on a different planet. They have their but own fiefdoms, basically. Yeah, but I, it, mean, I mean, really, I mean, that's a whole nother subject, yeah. like NFL owners yeah. and the pathology of NFL owners, is that's a whole nother world. But I do believe that the rank and file that are the NFL fans, that are the NFL players, are deeply patriotic, believe yeah. in this country, and probably want to not, probably want to separate football and politics as much as they possibly can. Yeah. And Goodell, I think, I would put into that category. Yeah, he's got a hard job, man. He's got one of the hardest jobs Dude, I in, talk in to America. Him like every day I mean, you that, wake that is up. a very political job. It's like managing, how many teams are there, 32 teams in the league? Right. Yes. So it's almost like managing thirty-two governors. Of course. Right? Or like, or like thirty-two mob bosses. And you've got part of his job is just making sure he doesn't get knocked off. Yes. Right. And when the mob bosses, I don't know if you've heard, but every once in a while, an owner might step into it just a yeah, little right? bit. Maybe you got to clean it up. You got to I mean, fix it. You know, it's it's. I, I've talked to him about it. like every day. He just must sit there and go through the news cycle, holding his breath with his fingers in his eyes, just waiting to get through a news cycle without some kind of problem. Yeah. A lot of problems. All right, a lot so, of headaches. so I got to ask you this question: uh, the season coming up, football, state of affairs. What do you think? The Giants, the NFL, just uh, go. I mean, I'm just so disillusioned by the the lack of team loyalty, the lack of team um, identity, the lack of player commitment to anything other. And this sort of goes back to like a part of my social media, yeah. uh, you know, issue that everybody's become, you know, instant self-brands and is very satisfied with just looking out for me. Um, I thought the Odell trade was ugly as a Giants fan. Yeah. Not because I think it's a bad trade or a good trade from a from a football standpoint, but I mean, here's a guy that was really associated with the team, associated yeah. with the city. I think for the most part, really respected and loved and the city wanted him and he just jumps and goes and we, we our management lets him go. Yeah, he, yeah. And I, I just find it's, getting very hard to, to figure out what the identity of any real football team is short of New England Patriots. You yeah. know, the one team that sort of managed to maintain consistency and, and apparent player loyalty. Um, and, you know, it shows. You go mm. up to, to Boston and watch a football game, you feel like you're somewhere that, that feels like a home, that feels yeah. like a culture. And, you know, I grew up going – to um, Giants games at Yankee Stadium with yeah. my dad when um, when Mr. Marr and Mr. Tish Sr. ran that team. And you knew what it meant to be a Giants fan. And, you know, they sucked for many, yeah. many years. But Spider Lockhart was there and John Mendenhall was there. And these guys were there. Fran Tarkin was there for a long, long time. And these were New York Giants. And now it's just everyone for themselves. And I have no idea. I thought the New York Giants were going to win the Super Bowl last I year. I told Didn't you? you they weren't going to. You, you and I would be texting about oh, this. God. I thought they were garbage. We were so and I think they're good. garbage in part because they don't have 
a team ethos. They didn't have leadership. They didn't because have cohesion. Because they never should have fired Tom Coughlin. That was a huge well, mistake to dump dump him the way they did. I don't did. disagree with you on that. And, but and, we're, but the coaching has set, you know sets the tone, just like in the presidency, just like in your business. And they feel like they haven't had an identity. They feel like they hadn't have leadership. But that's a lot of teams, and that's why the Patriots can crush them because they have a culture. That's right. They have a system. They have a process. They have continuity. And you know that when you show up, you know what the expectations are, and you got to buy. It's like joining the military, right? Yeah. Like when you when you come to Patriots. It's, it's like joining the SEALs. you got to commit at a certain level or don't even try. Well, and that's, and that, certain, that's, that's why they crushed that's right. And that's why they've been so successful. And they were, I think, maybe lucky. They got a pretty good quarterback. Yeah. And clearly knew what he was doing. And yeah. their coach seems to be pretty smart. But the lack of continuity in, in every football team I, I see now is like, it, yeah. it, it's not turning me off the sport. I still love it. I'd rather go see a good high school football game today. Which is your bread and butter, too. I mean, you've defined high school football in America. Yeah. And so I want to I wanna be mindful. Well, of I, did, I didn't define it. I was part of for many shining people, a light For people it. who don't know American high school football, mm-hmm. right? For people, you know, spouses maybe on the periphery, people coming to this country. If there was something and people said, what is American football all about? It's Friday Night Lights. Yeah, and I... On I've, screen, right? I've always said, like, if, if you have a guest... It's about much more than that. Yes. And it's almost, I mean, it's almost well, like a, a great soap opera or something else beyond that, the drama of it all. But at its core, it's an insight into why football matters yes. in America. Yes, and I've had, I've had that. The best compliments I ever got on Friday Night Lights were from people, oftentimes wives of football fans, who've come up to me and said, Jesus, I have never in my life understood why he goes crazy every, yeah. every Saturday it's true. and every Sunday. It's I, true. I just never understood it. It's now true. I kind of understand it. So thank you for helping me understand my spouse. Yeah. Um, but I, the, the most mind-blowing uh, Friday Night Lights like encounter I think I ever had was like five years ago, I was checking into the Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Hong Kong. <laughs> and when they, they, the bellman was this like 23-year-old Chinese guy, and he was walking up, and there were two other guys following him. So these two, three young, 20-ish-year-old young Chinese guys, and they all, I could tell, I only had one suitcase, and there were yep. three of them following me, and they all came into my room. I'm like, I don't maybe they're training or they're learning how to and they and i signed the thing gave them a tip and they stopped and they were like can we get a picture i'm like yeah sure i'm like what what what, how do you know me they're like friday night lights wow and i'm like what we love friday night lights and they were you know just chinese college students i go do you guys watch american football they go no do you understand anything about american football they go no but we love tim riggins and we love everybody loves tim riggins if tim riggins ran for president right now he'd beat every candidate in the running do you see what he's the ultimate populist candidate tim riggins for president we've had some people consider declaring here coach coach taylor for president and coach taylor for president for his vp all right all right all right look i want to i want to give people in this in this show inspiration you're a guy who on some levels man you're living the dream right you go with your kid when you're a kid to yankee stadium and now you're doing commercials with odell beckham and going to have dinner with the commissioner but telling the stories right of of what we grew up on so you know for fo- a lot, some folks who, who are listening to this pod maybe down on their luck they're going through a grind and you know you've inspired the shit out of me over the years in mm-hmm. many ways and i know a lot of people who know you feel that generous supportive hand of peter berg around them in different ways so you know is there a message you have about you know kind of life like how you got to where you are and also the question i ask of every guest is what's something that makes maybe it's related what is something that makes you happy what is mm-hmm. something that makes peter berg happy 
So, um, wow. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough. I, I believe in the whole concept of, of flow energy, that if you, if you, there are certain activities that if you participate in them and you work hard and you're consistent, you can, you can really achieve an elevated state. You know, it's, yeah. uh, um, what, whether it's exercise and I'm a big, big, big exercise, um, f fanatic, you know, I own a boxing gym and yeah. I find that, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm 55 years old now, so I call it gentleman sparring. Uh -huh. I like to spar, but like I'll set rules, especially if okay. you're younger and strong. About what and it's I your can, gym, so you yeah, can do I'm that. I'm allowed to do certain things for you, but <laughs> yeah. you're not allowed to do. But, yeah. but to have competitive sparring, which I find to be um, a, a, an incredible, what I call active meditation. I'm a little too hyper to sit for 30 minutes yeah. and meditate. But if I'm sparring with you and we're working and I, I have the fear of incoming fists and the power of outgoing fists, the focus and the clarity makes me very, very happy and I get a great workout and I get endorphins going. Um, I find that, that um, writing gives me um, uh, a, a real flow state and yeah. a, a reason that I was, I, I think, able to have success in, in my career is that I found writing in early age and mm. I felt a real passion for it and it took me into a mind space. It just was completely self-generated and self-reliant and self-empowering and I just went and right. I was then able to sell it and make a little money off yeah, of it. And I'm like, yeah. I get to get paid for doing that. I'll do more of that. And that took me on a good path. Um, and like is, is, as, I don't know, corny or as, as overused as it, it may be, the idea of trying to get out of my, my own life and help other people, whether it's mentoring, whether it's encouraging, whether it's finding someone that I feel is suffering more than I'm suffering because we're all living in our own little worlds of hell one way, yeah. <laughs> one way or another. <laughs> and whenever I'm down, I kind of look for something I think might be like needing it a little bit more. Yeah. And I find that generally, if I want to get happy, all I got to do is something for anybody else other than myself. And like, those are the things that make me tr truly feel um, happy. Yeah. You know, I find that um, money doesn't. Hmm. You know, money um, and and if, if if your if your life is about an end result, um, it's probably it's probably going to be a frustrating road for you. If it, if if money is the is the end of that road, uh, that's powerful, man. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. Thanks for the whiskey, bro. Thank you for the whiskey. Thank you oh, for and the dude, Thank you to on behalf of all the football fans everywhere. We got to thank you for helping us explain football to those who may not understand it. But on a very basic level. Uh, I also want to thank you for all your tremendous support of the military and veterans community. You're one of the guys that's truly down for us always in a lot of ways that are way below the radar. And you helped also, it's important, Pete, you helped kind of change the culture in Hollywood. When Hollywood, you know, in 03, 04, when I came home and started doing veterans work, mm -hmm. Hollywood was not really feeling this, right? And there were World War II vets like Ron Meyer and Norman Lear and others who were kind of below the radar, who had served, but didn't really, you know, wear it on their chest. But through your work, through your example, through your philanthropy, through your friendships, you have, you've changed the culture out there and I think in this country in a very powerful way to be mm -hmm. more open and be more thoughtful. And you've done it most powerfully through your storytelling, man. And, you. and I think you're you know, the great American storyteller right now for many of us, and especially for working people and especially for angry Americans. Can I drive the simulator? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank so you very we're much. We're going to wrap Paul. this interview. You're and, a great and, American. I appreciate that very thank much. Thank you, my brother. I love you and appreciate you. 
Uh, this is Angry Americans. Uh, let us know what you think of this interview with the great Pete Berg. Hashtag is Angry Americans. You can find Pete on Instagram and on every multimedia platform in the world. He's an exceptional human being. And now we're going to go into racing simulators here at the Classic Car Club Manhattan. And Pete's going to kick my ass because he drives a lot more fancy cars than I can ever imagine. Damn. Damn. Out here. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So every episode... I'm going to offer a productive way to channel your righteous anger. Today, I got a new issue and a new action, and we'll have a link at angryamericans.us. We've talked a little bit in the past few shows about cannabis and about marijuana reform. I think it's an important issue. I think it's a political, social, cultural issue, and I think it's one that's on the verge of some long overdue change. And I want to focus your attention on one part of that right now. Veterans do not have access to medical cannabis across the country. Veterans who've served overseas, who may be struggling with physical injuries or post-traumatic stress disorder, are denied access to cannabis. And organizations and leaders are fighting to change that, to ensure that the federal government can provide cannabis for vets. These are men and women who have operated tanks and nukes and fighter planes. They have taken on terrorists and save lives. But when they come home, they're told that they can't be trusted with medicine that makes them feel better. Medicine that presents a potential pain relief that can help them with amputations or help them potentially with post-traumatic stress and the other injuries of war. I think that's ridiculous. And I know many people feel the same way. So for your angry action this week, I invite you to join Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America IAVA, and many other organizations in the veterans community and beyond in advocating for cannabis for vets. Medical cannabis has been shown to help uh, in the treatment of PTSD and other issues, and the facts are that most veterans support. Only about 15% of veterans oppose legalization of of marijuana for medical purposes. Across party lines, medical cannabis is largely unopposed, yet the policies in this country are still outdated, research is lacking, and stigma persists. So there's legislation out there, and IBA is leading the fight. There's the Medical Cannabis Research Act. It's S-2796 and H.R. 5520. They would authorize the Department of Veterans Affairs to conduct research into the safety and effectiveness of medical cannabis as a treatment. It's a pretty basic step. It's got bipartisan support, but like many other issues, it's getting buried by Trump's Twitter account and everything else. So go to Cannabis for Vets is the hashtag, hashtag Cannabis for Vets. 
or go to iava.org backslash cannabis and you can find out how to get involved and how to spread the word. Uh, that's the Angry Action. There's also a link at angryamericans.us. I think this is a good way to channel some of that positive uh, energy and that frustration into something good that can really help people out. And that's what I want this show to be about. I'm going to post more using uh, the hashtag angryamericans on Twitter. And if you got a story to tell, a resource to share, or anything else about this show, use the hashtag angryamericans and let me know. Don't just be angry. Be active. All right, so success is a team game, and this show would not be possible without the help of a, of a truly awesome team. So I want to give a big shout-out to all those folks who made this show possible. John McDermott, producing today's show. Brendan Pfeiffer, just the make-shit-happen guy. Eric Schonborn, the producer of all things good, cool, and smart at Righteous Media. Ben Stauffer, our video guy, who's out this week because his wife's having a baby. Mazel tov, man. Congratulations to you and your wife. Uh, Cadence 13 for helping make this pod happen. Righteous Media, uh, my company for powering this whole enterprise and everybody involved. Two guys I want to give a shout out to, Mickey Roberts and Ben Dawson. When Ben Stoffer found out his wife was going into labor, Mickey Roberts and Ben Dawson, two guys I never really met before, working actors in New York City, stepped up and shot video of Pete Berg for free. Uh, they stepped up and answered the call. Thank you, Mickey and Ben. Wishing you guys the best. If your directors hire them, Sean Norton, my nephew, was our intern last week. Want to give him a shout out, and of course, my family, uh, my wife, and my two amazing boys. You guys are awesome, and I love you most of all. Thank you to you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being involved. You're making this podcast possible, and you're going to help it grow from a show into a movement. So tell your friends. Please tell them to subscribe now wherever you get your podcast. Tell three friends to check us out and help grow this thing. And follow Angry Americans on all your social media platforms. Use the hashtag AngryAmericans. We're also now posting all episodes on YouTube. So if you have friends or family with a really shitty phone or people who just don't get what a podcast is, you can send them to YouTube. I want this to be a show for everyone and especially for people who aren't yet on podcasts. Uh, we got some killer guests coming up in the days ahead. I mentioned it before, but we got Sarah Jessica Parker coming, Jay Smooth, uh, Jeffrey Wright from Westworld, the great Rachel Maddow, Tulsi Gabbard, who's running for president, Wes Moore, who I wish would run for president, John Bernthal, who played Punisher, uh, Malcolm Nance, the, the, the genius intelligence analyst, Milo Ventimiglia, who's all over the place uh, and on NBC, Van Jones, and many more. And next week, I'm going to go into the belly of the beast, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Hopefully, they won't throw me out, but I'll be back with a recap and some insight from there. And until then, it's okay to be angry. And no, you're not alone. We're all a little angry, and we're not going anywhere. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America. America.